0: The Anarchist's Workbench by Christopher Schwarz Published by Lost Art Press This recording is by Ray Defterius and is not affiliated or endorsed by Lost Art Press in any manner. Any errors or omissions are purely the fault of the narrator, as is any general bungling of pronunciation of names. Chapter 16 The A is now at the end. When I quit my magazine job, I was done with corporate publishing. But corporate publishing wasn't done with me. My former employer, F&W, still owned the rights to workbenches from design and theory to construction and use. And it sold thousands of copies, year after year. They had no plans to give it up, and the book was translated into French and German. Meanwhile, we grew Lost Art Press from a beer-money boondoggle into a small but respectable publishing company. We took the contract I had written while hungover in the Portland main airport and used it to publish books written by woodworkers we admired. First, I signed Peter Fyllinsby and Jenny Alexander to write Make a Joint Stool from a Tree. Then I convinced Matt Bickford to write a book on making mouldings by hand. Joel Moskowitz and I worked together on republishing The Joiner and Cabinet Maker. These books sold in ridiculously small numbers at first, but everyone shared in the profits fifty fifty. In order to continue eating, John, my business partner, kept his day job, and I made money by teaching woodworking classes, selling furniture commissions, and ironically, writing freelance pieces for my old employer. When the Anarchist Tool Chest came out, however, we sold a thousand copies in the first few weeks after its release. That's when I knew that the Lost Art Press was going to be okay. We used that same contract with every author with only technical modifications through the years. Nobody gets a better or worse deal. Treating everyone the same became our solution to every disagreement we faced. It worked. About the time we started selling 25,000 books a year, F&W approached me about revising workbenches from design and theory to construction and use, so we could publish an expanded edition. What I really wanted, however, was to regain the rights to that book, printed in the United States, fix the font size, they'd made it smaller, and other changes. But that deal wasn't on the table, so I revised the text in exchange for, finally, getting paid royalties. Soon after, F&W began to fail financially. Burdened by debt after multiple acquisitions by venture capital firms, F&W entered bankruptcy protection and opted to sell all its assets at auction, including my book. John and I decided to attempt to buy the rights to work ventures. After years of careful financial planning, cautious expansion, and hard work, we had some money we could afford to flush away on lawyers to help us negotiate the deal. After weeks of working out the details with a team of attorneys, we'd spent enough money on legal fees to buy everyone in my neighborhood a case of beer, but we had a sound, well-reasoned financial offer to buy back the book. It was, in my opinion, overly generous. It took almost five minutes for them to reject our offer. Here's the lesson. No matter how successful and hardworking you are, there is always a huge corporation out there that will squash you without noticing. Workbenches is now owned by Penguin Random House, PRH, a massive publishing company that controlled by two even bigger conglomerates, Bertelsmann and Pearson PLC. After a defeat such as this, there's only one thing you can do. Dust yourself off, write a better book, and give it away to the world for free. Completing the trilogy. This book is the third and final installment with the anarchist title. The first book, The Anarchist Tool Chest, dispelled my fears after quitting my corporate job. Thank you. The second, The Anarchist Design Book, allowed me to explore vernacular furniture forms and bring them into a contemporary context. This, I discovered, is a key part of my life's work. And the third book, The Anarchist Workbench, brought me full circle with my woodworking. On the day I picked up a load of yellow pine in 2000 to build my first real workbench, I knew it was the start of something important. And I kept building workbenches and writing about them until I arrived at this sentence There won't be the Anarchist Birdhouse book or the Anarchist Tool Chest 2 Dreams Come True. These three books say what I think is important buy good tools, build a simple workbench and build everything in your home. That goal is not that much different than what my parents were seeking when my family moved to Arkansas in 1973. I still remember it as a bit of a shock, both for us and the community around us. Though St. Louis where I was born is only 400 miles from Fort Smith, Arkansas, the food, music, accent traditions, and even the clothing were so different that it was like immigrating to another country. A lot of it was for the better. Southern food is the best food. The Ozarks are the prettiest place I've ever lived. The people are, in general, way friendlier. And we had a milkman, a damn milkman, who left us glass jars of milk on our front step. On the other hand, I attended a segregated school. And the blue laws were, well, let's just say the manager of the Harps grocery store will never forget the scene my mother caused one Sunday when they wouldn't sell her a box of tampons. I was five at the time we moved and I tried to fit in. When I started attending Woods Elementary, I put on a flannel shirt, overalls and cowboy boots. I have destroyed these photos, I assure you. But I soon realized that fitting in was impossible. We were frauds, outsiders. I didn't have the accent and I didn't like guns, hunting or football. So it was a second shock when my parents bought a farm about 30 minutes south of town. No electricity. No water. We had to build a gravel road to get to it. My father, with our grudging assistance, built two houses at the top of the cliff and made plans to raise goats and strawberries. No power tools at first. Solar shower. Composting toilets. No air conditioning. In Arkansas, no less. And speaking as a kid, no sugared cereal, no cokes, and no water guns. We were simply unlike the people around us in northwest Arkansas. Heck, we weren't like anyone else I met in the middle part of the country. To deal with it, I mostly faked being normal. This worked wonders. As a family, we kept our heads down, we did our thing at our farm, and we tried to be good neighbours. We were striving to be homesteaders, but we never used that word and that was a good decision. Homesteading carries a lot of hippie baggage in Arkansas. The time has now come for me to stop using the word anarchist. To continue to run my life and business the way I always have, keep my head down, be good to my neighbors, be kind to strangers. For a long time I hoped that being upfront about my philosophy and living it by example, such as starting a publishing company based firmly on the principles of mutualism, might make people think, huh, maybe anarchism isn't about the violent overthrow of the government and a descent into chaos. Perhaps I should read more about it and give it some thought. That hasn't happened. When you use words like anarchism, half the population labels you a violent droog, and the other half sniffs that you aren't pure enough to use the word. After 10 years of wearing that word on my chest literally at times, I've decided that I'm tired of labels that divide us. Whenever we begin a woodworking class at our storefront in Covington, Kentucky, I like to be on hand to show people where the bathrooms are, to explain the dense urban neighbourhood around them, and to suggest they avoid political chat during their time here. As woodworkers, we have a lot more in common than we have differences, I say. Try to embrace that for a few days. I'm shocked to tell you this, but the little speech usually works. During the last three years, I've watched people from all political persuasions listen to one another, enjoy one another's company, and make deep bonds with people they might never associate with, for differences of race, class, politics, or geography. I've watched these seemingly odd gaggles of people come back, as a group, to take classes so they could all work together again. I want to go there. And if that means I need to stop waving my personal freak flag to help things along, I'm okay with that. Let me assure you that nothing has changed underneath the hood. I still would rather build things than buy them. And when I do buy something, I try like hell to get it from the women and men who make it, grow it, or cook it. I'm suspicious when large governments, corporations, and religious institutions intersect. I despise hierarchy. And I'll never have employees. I don't want to control other people's lives, and I don't want my business to grow into something I despise. But is that anarchism? Cough, cough, nah. I'm just the weirdo who built stuff at the corner of West 9th and Willard Street in Covington. You can find me there almost every day, standing at my workbench in the building's barroom, making furniture until I croak. Christopher Shores, Covington, Kentucky, June 2020.